okay, name any painter, says my brain. And it's like, oh, uh, Mozart, Bach. <laughs> <laughs> they Thanks, paint brain. with music. Oh, it's so beautiful. Renoir. Yeah. Yeah, his son was a film director, but his dad, daddy did some good paintings. Daddy did some good paintings today, kids. <laughs> daddy did some lovely paintings. <laughs> <laughs> uh, tell us about the paintings, Daddy. No, oh, gather around, Daddy. I'll tell you about the paintings today. <laughs> Is it more nudes of mummy? <laughs> yeah. Oh, I got some nudes. Some of them are mummy. Some of them ain't a mummy. I ain't know nobody's business but my own. <laughs> Mine and Irene's. <laughs> that'll do. That'll do. Some of that will be an intro. Oh, will uh, it? Uh oh. Yeah, I think so. Uh oh. <laughs> Lead us in, Lady Jen. Oh, yeah, it's my show. It's your show. <laughs> I forgot. This is my show. You're listening to Jen and the Film Critic. My name is Jen, and with me, as always, is my film critic, Paul Salt. Say hello, Paul. Hello. Hello. And of all that was the voice, right? Yeah. Yay. We watched that like moments ago, and I've already forgotten what voice the yeah. guy from the trapdoor had. Uh, my, it took me a good minute to recall the theme song that we so um, vocally enjoyed. Ah, <laughs> uh, we mm. did vocally. I'm enjoying this. I am also enjoying this. <laughs> <laughs> That's how we do it. We're terrible in a cinema. Never, never be yeah. in a cinema with us. It really, it really should. Um, we should really put like that as an asterisk to all of these film reviews because <laughs> it, it's hard to thoroughly enjoy a film over the sound of your own voice saying, "This is good. I am enjoying this part. <laughs> this part of the God. film is average. I am losing attention." Shut up! I say, screaming at my own head. <laughs> How do I make them stop? <laughs> you, you don't. You just embrace I don't. it. I embrace it and I come here and I share those voices with you, the dear listeners. Mm-hmm. So, mm. oh, films? What films, about them? Probably. Well, I'll tell you about them. Yeah? What about them? What about them? Hey, guy come around here asking about the films. He came around here asking about films? Yeah. Do you tell him what for? <laughs> I, I told him why. Yeah, you, to, you told him. confused at that, yeah. Yeah, you told him why he was here. He, that's what. That's all he needed, really, was a sense of purpose. He was an existentially challenged uh, guy. Great, great. This is out. a therapist's office, so I appreciate <laughs> us helping our clients. Hey, Tony was wondering why he's got such hostility for his mum. Well, it's oh, yeah? probably some unresolved trauma. <laughs> trauma. Trauma. It's a, it's a trauma. <laughs> oh god yes there are movies and i'll tell you what for there are is um let's 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 put the three most and only timely ones up front by uh talking about movies that are out recently or even soon depending on when i get this out <laughs> <laughs> hey i was only three weeks late on the last one so cut me some slack <laughs> by southeastern railway standards that's uh, yeah, exactly punctual <laughs> Oh, God, yes, this is Missing. Missing? Missing. This is a sequel to the 2018 sleeper hit Searching, which was about a man searching for his missing daughter. Mm. And now we have a movie about a daughter searching for her missing mum. You see? Mm. Next movie is going to be called Four. <laughs> yeah. Finding. Finding, kind of. Yeah. Uh, see, it's all 
It's all very good. And the gimmick or legitimate narrative device, depending on how I land on this, I don't know what my reviews are either. I'm reading this for the first time too. Um, is that the entire movie is told through the computer screen as the camera sort of moves about the user interface, revealing different you know windows and apps. Interesting. But it's all the computer screen. We don't see anything that's not being shown on the computer screen. Okay. Um, including FaceTime. Well, our main character is nearly constantly on so that we can see what her face is doing. <laughs> because if she's not on there, then we'll just have to try and catch a glimpse of her in the Excel spreadsheet. <laughs> but yeah, we only see something if it's on the computer screen. So it's a found footage movie, really. And you need to suspend disbelief in the same ways you have to do with found footage. Like, really? Are they still running this camera? Like, yeah, FaceTime is still on. You can still see our main character. It's fine. Just go with it. Um, and it has to be said that the conceit the conceit is, once again, very entertaining and well thought out. Mm. Having all of the action take place in that way very directly involves you in the main character's actions. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, it's first person, really, because you're seeing the same part of the screen that she's looking at. So you're actively scanning the screen, looking for the thing that she's about to notice. Like, mm. why is she looking at this window? Oh, the email in the background is a clue. And you get the clue. That's and fun. It is. It's fun. And the writer directors, Will Merrick and Nick Johnson, who are not the same people involved in the first movie, uh, come up with some very clever uses of technology. I find it a little personally devastating <laughs> uh, that whenever we need to cut to the extremely untech savvy mother, uh, she's using a Windows PC. And then when we cut to the young, cool, switched on daughter living her best life, it's Apple. It's all Apple and Google. Well, uh, judgy. Yeah. WhatsApp? What's the, what even is that, Grandad? I'm trying. <laughs> okay. I could have given up. I should have. Everybody has told me to, but I didn't. So Don't, don't worry. Cut. We'll find your missing mother. I'll just post on my Facebook group. <laughs> Let me ask Jeeves about this. <laughs> so yeah. I, think, uh, um, I think the Neopets community could probably uh, help us here. <laughs> we'll get the penguin party on it. <laughs> so... Yeah, the detective work of the movie is how would I get into this man's Gmail account and track his location, you know, mm. if I had to. Also, I'd accuse the movie of product placement with all of these brands, but it paints a rather dim view of security on a lot of these apps. <laughs> she gets past Gmail's verification process using information she finds on Facebook. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. But then she's making use of technology to solve all of these problems in really clever ways. And it's the moment where she wakes up too late to clean up uh, because she's got to go pick up her parents. So she goes on like an app and pays someone 20 bucks to come around and clean the house. Mm. And it's just like, oh, teen movies are done. <laughs> yeah. There's literally nothing now. All problems can be solved with Postmates. Yeah. And yeah, just this odd job app thing has really interesting implications within the plot and leads to some really fun twists. Mm. Um, there are some clunkers. There are some, some of the plot points are very discreetly communicated and called back. And some, sometimes it's just, hey, here's a bit of glass. It's on the floor, okay? There's a Fitbit still in the house. <laughs> Remember, there's a Fitbit in the house. <laughs> but in spite of that, it does manage the holy grail of a mystery movie, which is when it calls back to something and you remember it. You noticed it, but you didn't notice it when you were noticing oh. it. And so you think, oh, yeah. yeah. I remember that. Like, you know, a, a nickname that becomes a password, alcohol, mm. um, a bit of antiquated tech, which suddenly becomes important. It's just, it has moments that will make you go, oh, I remember. So it's very satisfying as a mystery film. 
it gives you guessing and it moves along at a pace. It does have a section near the middle where it nearly throws out its entire core premise and just dunks game-changing revelations on top of each other in a montage. There are like three moments that would be big dramatic moments in a movie that it just piles on top of each other with no time to react. And then the end of the movie, at the point when somebody knocks on the door, it just blasts off into space. It's (laughs) sheer madness. Okay. But... Then even then, after it's lost you, because it will lose you, you start to think, come on, movie, this can't happen even in movies. It's too implausible. This can't be happening. But it does turn things back around and brings you into the fold because it is actually quite a satisfying whole. Even the dead ends and red herrings are actually part of the main big one plot. And that's quite impressive. It's impressive Mm. not to have like pointless, you know, diversions and dead ends. The whole thing actually is one mystery that she's just uncovering slowly. It's very good. Emotionally, it's on the light side. There aren't too many moments where you really get to feel the emotional impact of what's happening. Uh, And this is in spite of a spirited performance by Storm Reid in the lead. Uh, And a charming turn for um, Joaquim de Almeida. Mm. And how lovely it is to see him on screen again. Because anyone who grew up in the 90s, any boys who grew up in the 90s will remember him from Desperado. The uh, sexy Antonio Banderas movie with (laughs) Sam Hayek. And um, he's, he's in there as the villain and he's just pure evil. You know, you drive around town. You see someone you don't know, you shoot them. How hard is that? He's, <laughs> he's the character you needed to solve this mystery. We need Bucho to show up. <laughs> plays Bucho. It's Bucho. Like, oh, Bucho. He's so good. Um, but yeah, it's a romp. And it, gets, it has a lot in common with the sort of tree crime, true crime, the tree crime, you know, the tree crimes <laughs> that there are. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of tree crimes in the world right now, unfortunately. Environmental message. Mm. Um, there's a lot, you know, it has a lot in common with the true crime TV shows and podcasts to which it pays homage, sort of keeping you living from one twist to the next, you know, hooked on what's going to happen next. So it's engaging and compelling, kind of disposable, uh, aside from how well made it is. Because I remember really liking Searching. But I remember nearly nothing about it now. I can't remember a mm. single thing that happens in Searching, but I just remember liking it. So, and I think that's kind of going to be the case. So I think this franchise might have some legs because the format is interesting and they can keep coming up with fun ways of doing it and it doesn't overstay its welcome. So if they space them outright, I think they might just be able to have a go at this sort of thing. A little franchise. Mm. Fun. One other note, there's a character in the movie called Bunny Cakes, and at one stage, <laughs> she disappears, and our lead character says, Bunny Cakes is missing, which is surely a reference to Otto Preminger's amazing and stylish 1965 psychological thriller film Bunny Lake is missing, uh... which also goes off the deep end, Lady Gaga style in its third act, so it's a solid <laughs> reference and or solid coincidence. Nice. I appreciate solid that. Solid coincidence. So, yeah, four stars. I had a lot of fun. Okay, cool. Very good. A, four stars. great not a great or classic film or anything but it's a really yeah. entertaining film nice yeah, I, yeah. I, that sounds entertaining yeah. I like a puzzle i, enjoyed it. I think you i'd like enjoy a puzzle. it yeah. yeah a little mystery and I, i'd be very curious to hear if anyone like get because there are three i think big moments where it's like oh how did i not notice that so i'd be curious mm. to hear if anyone else got those fun yeah wow i like it cool well, look, the biggest movie of January and the first real surprise hit of the year <coughs> is the latest Blumhouse horror movie, Megan. Megan? Mathrigan, as it's uh, stylized. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> Which they've really screwed themselves over for if they end up making three of these. Two has yeah. already been greenlit, so it's Mathrigan t- 2, version two, 2.0. What are they going to do for three? It's going to be a nightmare. Spell it normally. Spell it <laughs> with an E. Yeah. Oh, God, the twist. Yeah. Really screw people over. 
<laughs> so Gerard Johnston is the director. I want to talk behind the scenes first before getting into what it's about. Sure. Um, he has made one other movie, which is the really excellent, I think it was New Zealand, but it may have been Australian, <clears throat> just darkly funny and quite creepy horror film called Housebound back okay. in 2014. It was very good. Um, and then nothing until now. So he's directing this movie that just reeks of James Wan. This mm-hmm. is Malignant 2, Dead Silence 3, Megan, Mithrigan. Mithrigan. And he's he's credited for story and producer, but it's just all over feels like a, a James Wan joint. <laughs> um, but the movie, it, it does actually feel more congruent and well thought out than his usual fare. So perhaps that can be put down to the actual screenwriter, Akella Cooper. And she has come up in horror horror TV, and she did also write Malignant, which is a beautiful, beautiful mess. Um, <laughs> as is this, but it's less messy. Or at least it's more deliberately messy. So it's Alison Williams from <clears throat> Girls or Gilmore Girls? I forget, but she was... I do not know. Katie tells me every single time she shows up in anything, and I always forget. Let's see. She was in Get Out. She was the girlfriend in Get Out. Oh, Girls. Girls. And... Girls! Yeah. Girls. Girls, girls, girls. And Peter Pan Live in 2014. Wow, good for her. Did yeah, she play you. the eponymous Peter Pan? I hope so. Anyway. <laughs> I assume so. She, I, assume, I assume she played, uh, what was the name of the dog? Nanny? Oh, yeah. Yeah, she should have played Nanny. Yeah, so she did. She, she played Peter Pan. Oh, that's so cool. Yeah. That's oh, really cool. Guess who was Captain Hook? <gasps> I can't. Adam Driver. No. Oh. Come on. Come on. Read my oh. mind, Paul. You know who this is. D- Dustin Hoffman come no. back. No. I have no idea. Come on. No, you can get this. <laughs> Nicholas who, Cage. If you were making a film with an older <laughs> male actor in and you could, they would let you cast anyone in the world, who are you going to put in it? I feel like I'd get Werner Herzog to do it, but that's not going to be the right Closer. answer. Closer. <laughs> Max von Sydow? I don't know. No. Who is it? Ooh. It's Christopher Walken. Ah, oh, that's wonderful news. I cast Christopher well, Walken in literally anything. Yeah, I'm going to have to find out if that's been recorded and staged somewhere. <laughs> because this is very important news. It kind of pales in comparison, but Mithrigan is um is here with significantly less potential. Uh, but it realizes all of it. Oh. Uh, because Alison William plays a tech developer and an inventor who, <laughs> after a tragic car crash, has to take over care duties of her little niece, played by Violet McGraw, who was fabulous in The Haunting of Hill House and was in Black Widow. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's, she wasn't particularly bad, but it's just, you know, who was anything in Black Widow? Uh, Williams has to look after her and is just a wonderfully bad parent. It's quite a comedically dark film, so the scenes of her struggling to communicate or even relate to her little niece are quite amusing, as well mm. as being just fraught and sadly relatable, I think. Um, yeah, sadly relatable. Don't worry, I'm not having any. <laughs> You don't need to worry about that. Relatable as hell, though, when she can't look after that kid. Um, so what to do? The kid is really distracting Alison Williams from her work. What is her work? Well, she's a toy developer, and she's working on an ambitious life-sized robot girl who will comfort and entertain and just generally parent any child it's given to. She just needs a test subject. Wait, Wait a second. Hang on Hang on a minute. A minute. So she pairs them. Mm-hmm. And it's a bad idea because the doll is obviously evil immediately. If you mm-hmm. look at a poster, you can tell this doll well, is evil. Let me look at a poster then. Have a look at Mithrigan and you can tell that this is an evil doll. It's just oh, so... yeah, I can yeah. tell. <laughs> it's delicious. The doll looks so scary. And the design is perfect for riding that uncanny line um, between just sort of... The yeah, doll looks like that. 
it looks like they've modeled the doll entirely off that um what's her name lily cole Ooh, yeah that actress she uh she was a model first and then she did some yes and then acting yes she was in the imaginarium of dr parnassus (laughs) i feel like i've seen her and it's the outfit as well yeah anyway oh god it's it's a tremendous look and she is being played by amy amy donald is the physical performance okay which is perfect it's just slightly unnatural not outright robotic but like very kind of mock fluid in a way that feels designed and then sometimes just outright comedic including some sequences i just dare not spoil um (laughs) and then there's jenna davis as the voice which always just always vanishing to sound creepy but never entirely clear how deliberate or knowing she's being at the time thank you Gemma. i'll take (laughs) care of it (laughs) it's very good um and yeah that's possibly the greatest virtue of this movie because every horror film has to draw out the often tedious suspense sequence in the second act where the main character knows something is happening but is it or perhaps you're just really tired or emotional there must be a reasonable explanation everybody in your life is telling you so Mm -hmm. maybe nothing's happening at all and we know something's happening we're just waiting for people to realize um but yeah it's just very funny when it's much more palatable when the doll is just hilariously and obviously sinister yeah what (laughs) You suspect Megan? That's crazy. <laughs> Look at her. She's just there like grinning at you with wide open eyes. Hi there. Is there anything I can do to help? How about just... killing you? <laughs> you seem to have an awful lot of brain matter. <laughs> Let um, me lighten your load. You can just you can play those moments for comedy whilst also actually building up the tension. And it manages both. It's a, oh, a nice. horror comedy that is actually creepy and funny. And it oh, cool. coalesces into this really camp and entertaining third act that recalls although maybe isn't quite as outright insane as malignant's final uh, final <laughs> third uh but the build-up and payoff is significantly better cool. um yeah you care more about what's going on this is a good film malignant is a funny mess there's a difference and i'm mm. i'm seeing a lot of people who are saying that this movie's so bad it's good as if it's not self-aware like yeah. the movie starts with a hilariously unsettling uh advert for a toy you can give your kids this is a comedy like mm. it knows exactly what it is and in addition to that, it has things to say about parenting and technology, and it is actually genuinely distressing to see Alison Williams not know what her niece needs, in spite mm. of the fact it's clearly just someone to listen and spend time with her. Sure. But, you know, that's the one thing that Williams can't do, and I think it's, yeah, very nuanced. So, as mad as it seems, I think I'm actually going to give it all five. <gasps> It may seem silly, but genuinely, I think this achieves exactly what it sets out to do and does so with a great assuredness and competence. And I just felt like it I was in good hands the entire time. Yeah. Like an attentive parent who doesn't use phones or robot girls to raise their youngs. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I just had had fun the whole time. If God wanted us to talk to our children, he wouldn't have given (laughs) us smartphones. Yeah. It's a compelling argument that mm-hmm. I can't deal with. And another thing that's a compelling argument is that the another surprise movie is uh, the fact that the new Gerard Butler film, Gerard. <laughs> Gerard. <laughs> the new Gerard Butler film. The new film. Monsieur Gerard Butler. 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 <laughs> it's better than you might think. It's plain. Oh, yeah. Just plain. plain it's what, called. Uh, with A-N-E or, a- yeah. or A-I-N? Okay. Just A-N-E. He's on a plane. So, oh, okay. Like airplane. Yeah. It's a movie about a plane that is <laughs> flying through choppy skies and has to make an emergency landing on a remote island. Two problems. One, the island is covered in pirates who love taking hostages. And Amazing. two, 
they have Mike Coulter on board, the plane, who is a <laughs> jacked convict, an ex-Foreign Legion soldier who's French sometimes. <laughs> I like that. And is, and is very keen and very capable of GTFOing at any given <laughs> moment. So, with no local authorities brave enough to approach the island and the hilariously overdramatic rescue forces struggling to put a plan together back at home base, it looks like Bootler might just have to team up with Coulter after all in the ultimate fight for survival, sometimes involving a plane. <laughs> plane? Most of the time, not. <laughs> they should have called it island. <laughs> yeah, sometimes plane. <laughs> <laughs> so the premise would have made for a classic action movie in the 90s where it would have had a better mm. title i don't know what it would be called just dangerous mission to die holiday of death yeah <laughs> holiday of death isn't bad it would be called something good it would yeah. be called something very good it wouldn't just be called it would plain. just be like one with like velocity yeah terminal velocity terminal velocity oh jesus it would it would have been great it would have had real stunts practical effects and just generally a more visceral and less processed feel to proceed- sure. proceedings you know this is quite sheeny but it's still better than you think there's yeah. some good action too much shaky cam of course but what of you course. can actually see there's some good squibs <laughs> and some you know nice fights uh and there's a very good one-shot fight scene between bootler and a um a sort of ruffian mm. that's quite good it sort of moves around the office in a way yeah recalls barry which also had a very good fight scene <laughs> in it. um yeah there's actually a good sense of fun really without compromising the stakes you know it's quite cheesy in places butler's two expressions are well utilized <laughs> in a role that isn't asking too much of him Look. so I cannot. I know he's been in terrible films for a very long time. I know, but I can't. I I just I can't help but love him, and it's because <laughs> it's because he played the Phantom of the Opera in two thousand. Oh, of course, Phantom of the I was Opera. searching my database for oh. the link between you and Butler, and I was like, I, she is a fan. But I was like, no, they're forever going to be in love with him for that. Yeah. Just love never dies, Jen. Love never dies, except for that sequel, which wasn't good. <laughs> Love never falters. I still have listened to most of the soundtrack multiple times. <laughs> well, <laughs> oh dear. this one, this could have also been a musical, and it would have been better. There are some <laughs> baffling decisions, though, because the, the the guys back home in the U.S. of A. they decide to send in people to try and get the crew and passengers out, uh, mm-hmm. but because the U.S. has no jurisdiction, they can't use the CIA, and the locals are too afraid to approach the island, so they decide to use mercenaries. Okay, right. that's going to go wrong. You might mm-hmm. think to yourself, you can't rely on men who fight for cash. But no, they're just great. Oh, great. Just okay, really cool. solid guys. And they just back up Butler just... in all of his endeavors. This is just a promo for consultants, isn't it? Just... <laughs> I guess so. Because, yeah, Pro they're just really, uh, really competent and faithful. Just, uh, I need you to buy me five minutes. Sure. And then he just goes out and kills them at 50 people. Yeah. Nice. I, I will it, lay down my life for the paycheck. Yeah. <laughs> That's the gig economy, you know? Mm-hmm. And there's a, there's a scene where they get Butler. They get him out of the camp and he's like, I have to go back for the others. And you think, okay, they're going to be like, they're not worth it. You're the priority or something like that. And he has to sneak away. But no, they're just like, oh, we already got him. And it just cuts <laughs> to a bus and they already got them out. <laughs> That's amazing. Imagine if that was in Die Hard. It's yeah. just like, I got to get, oh, hi, we're the private security of the, uh, of the um, Nakatomi Plaza. Oh, okay. We need to get the hostages done. Done that. Yeah, yeah. Sorted. Oh. We're actually very efficient because we're professionals. Yeah. <laughs> we're professionals, which is and we're we not had just some procedures in place. Vest. So we just we we did it already. We're all wearing worry. shoes, for example. That's one mm-hmm. of the main. It's actually health and safety. Actually, yeah. <laughs> our union says that we are entitled to shoes. So yeah, and breaks. So if you'd excuse us, <laughs> yeah, you can hold the fort for like fifteen minutes, right? <laughs> we already killed all the terrorists. Yeah. 
but please don't just just don't blow it up for 15 minutes keep an eye on this guy he has a, he might he looks like the type who jumps out of his body bag and we left his gun crazily nearby him <laughs> so keep an eye out for him Aww. i shot a kid see you later <laughs> uh, yeah, and there's also the plane crashes because of a storm there's nothing but beautiful weather on the island for the entire <laughs> movie and then they take off again into a storm oh it's just been hovering around the island the weather don't come here no more that's just that's holiday holiday weather for you isn't it <laughs> oh look we're getting near england <laughs> yeah <laughs> Just uh, at the border, in the middle of the channel yeah. where it becomes British waters. It's just, just a sheet, wall uh, of rain. Dun, dun. <laughs> oh, God. It's good fun, but it's not really anything more than that. Okay. Nothing very surprising either. So it's a solid three. Cool. Yeah, as good as you want it to be. Yeah. Great. Great. Very nice. Some of these movies can only dream of um, achieving <laughs> a three. Uh, speaking of which, we now move into... Now that we've got the three relatively recent releases out of the way, we mm-hmm. have to talk about the fact that here in the UK... This is award season. Ah, yes. Because uh, all of the sort of big award baity kind of movies that came out in November and December in the States come out now, which is why I never make my year-end list until March. Mm. So, yeah, that's basically the rest of this episode. It's just Oscar movies that the Americans have had for <laughs> for quite a bit longer than us. But it's fun to finally take part in that discourse. Cool. And we start with one of the more controversial uh, ones, uh, an attempt at Oscar success. And it's mm-hmm. up for three of them, actually. Costume design, original score, and production design. Perfect. Mm. Oh. <laughs> you, you, you did it, guys. Yeah. It's, <laughs> it's Damien Chazelle's Babylon. Okay. Yeah. The outrageously graphic, outrageously ambitious, outrageously long epic <laughs> about 20s Hollywood, which mainly follows two young up-and-comers, a chaotic performer, Nelly Leroy, played by... Uh, Ooh, I put Margot Kidder. I'm pretty sure I meant Margot Robbie. Um, <laughs> I don't think Margot Kidder is back from the dead and playing this role. She would have done it well, though, in the Let me 70s. just check her Instagram. Okay. If you do Margot Robbie, you're just going to get Barbie stuff, I hope. No, she, no, no, she's dead. No. Oh, okay, she's still pretty she's dead. Still According dead. to her Instagram, status still, dead. Still pretty dead, but yeah. still very beautiful. Oh, she's gorgeous, and she was great. Mm. Check her out in Sisters. Um, yeah. yeah, and you've also got a button-down but very competent assistant, an aspiring director played by Diego Calva, who is gorgeous in this movie. Mm-hmm. I mean, they both are obviously one of them is Margot Robbie, but yeah, Diego Calva constantly wearing his workman's shirt and just looking a spicy. Yeah, I enjoyed it a lot. Jen's just looking up a picture, folks. Yeah, of course I am. <laughs> Diego <laughs> Calva. But Diego yeah. Calva Babylon because I don't know how he carries himself in real life, but his look in this was tight. Yeah, yeah, looking great. Yeah, it's looking good, right? Looking really good. He's looking very good in this. And the movie starts, and because of this and also so much more, I am quite happy with it for longer than I expected. It's a long movie, but it's doing the thing I love in long movies of actually sticking with sequences, just letting Mm. them play out as long as they have the energy and momentum to continue to do so. Because I swear the first 90 minutes of this movie are like six scenes. (laughs) Yeah. At most. And I love that. We have, we move from hugely indulgent parties, you know, orgiastic miasma of um, mm. of stuff going on, a bacchanal, to hugely indulgent film shoots where <laughs> everything's crazy and dangerous and chaotic and everyone's having sex and yelling and doing drugs and peeing on each other. And it's, <laughs> it's, it's trying too hard. It is. It's mm. trying too hard to get you to fall in love with the madness. And it lacks a feeling of authenticity as a result. But it's still pretty fun to witness mm. and experience uh then we reach the point you reach in every damien chazelle movie and maybe every movie frankly where there's a dramatic mi- midpoint 
and then we calm down. Mm. You know, Whiplash burns yeah. out and leaves the conservatory. La La Land get together and their relationship goes wrong. First man goes to the moon. It doesn't really work for my first man. But um, the momentum that's carried us this far peaks and then we break and we sure. build back up from a low point to the dramatic climax. And, you know, in the case of the earlier films, you have that investment in the characters for that to work. After the midpoint of this film, which is obviously the introduction of sound, because mm. every movie about silent cinema has to at some point address yes. the fact that sound came along. And this movie hilariously seems to suggest that feature films beforehand used to play out to absolute silence to crowds <laughs> on opening night. Okay. Literally never been the case. Once. No. <laughs> no. God, some of the, they had some crazy ideas for sound before they introduced the idea of just sticking it on the same thing as the as the film. Wild. Made. Including radio sh- uh, channels that used to put out the soundtrack to the movie, so you just tune a radio in the middle of the of the um, theater wow. to the right channel, which meant you could also just listen to the movie at home. Okay. Very interesting. Magical. Um, also, cinema is older than radio. Isn't that crazy? Is it? Yeah. <gasps> Isn't that weird? That is weird. <laughs> that is weird. That's not right, is it? No. <laughs> Radio actually coveted sense. the legitimacy. Radio proved a threat to cinema. Mm. Like they were worried about it. It's very interesting. Interesting. Anyway, um, but yeah, the, the, there isn't the pathos or involvement in this world to get you through the slump post midpoint. Um, after the snake fight, which you will notice, <laughs> the snake fight, you can kind of check out for a good hour or so until they decide they're going to remake the Boogie Nights drug dealer scene only with Tobey Maguire and crocodiles, and we're nearly back. Okay. We're nearly back at that point. But, you know, it, it's a relatively entertaining scene. But that is meant to be the point of all this, you know, that silent cinema and the parties that went with it were amazing and crazy and unsustainable, and it's sad, mm. but it's inevitable because every good time has to come to an end eventually, and that's fine, but when you swap out the circus for drama, you need the drama to be good, and this is no boogie nights. So, okay. Yeah. It was better before it felt like it was trying to be a real movie. There was a good long stretch there where it was like, oh, okay, we're just going to do this instead of a movie. Great. (laughs) Let's do that. Because, you know, it's like a a Hollywood movie with a, you know, when it becomes a Hollywood movie with a plot and a point, it just, it loses me. I liked it better when it was without those things, a plot (laughs) or a point. And it felt like Fellini. Yeah, just mm. scenes, just scenes. Can't a movie just be good scenes and no bad ones, as somebody yeah. said? You know, when <laughs> Full it, salt. Okay. <laughs> a few good scenes and no bad ones, somebody said, was how you make a good movie, and that's pretty good. Oh, interesting. Can, maybe it's Howard Hawks. I don't know. We'll, I'll Google it. it up. That's yeah, my Google job. It. That's your job. But um, yeah, for a while there, this felt like Fellini at his most self-indulgent and without the censors. Because this vision of 20s Hollywood has a lot in common with like Fellini's 60s Rome when he portrayed it as being cool and sexy. Mm. I think Hollywood was cool and sexy in the 60s. I bet it wasn't, actually. I bet Hollywood was kind of a drag in the 60s. Charlton Heston was there. The coolest guy was Gregory Peck. I bet it was kind of lame. I think all the cool stuff was happening out in counterculture. What happened in Europe? Yeah, out in the fields at that point. Yeah, and and in in Hollywood, hippies are scary. Hippies are, um, like, Mm. where's Woodstock? Woodstock's not out that is it it's i feel like the other coasts and like elsewhere Sa- like yeah, san like francisco Calif- was yeah. cool california mm. was cool in the 60s hollywood yeah. was not cool it's la is where the 60s was murdered mm. you know marilyn monroe died 
1963 and Hollywood Hollywood died along with her. Mm. And then in 1967, Faye Dunaway and Warren Beatty got machine gunned to death by the man in a desperate attempt to kickstart the 70s. <laughs> it didn't work. It took Dennis Hopper <laughs> and Peter Fonda to ride into town on their Harley Davidsons to properly kickstart that mm. movement. They did unspeakable things to Jack Nicholson and we don't talk about it anymore. <laughs> Even Tarantino tried to make a movie about Hollywood in the 60s and had to make it about television instead because movies weren't cool in Hollywood in the 60s. Mm. Yeah. Uh, yeah and Peckinpah Peck was 70s, no matter when he was making a movie. If he made a movie today, <laughs> it would be a 70s movie. Like, Don't you dare come at me with the wild bunch. <laughs> uh, oh, I can confirm that it's Howard Hawks. Oh, good cool. Movie. I got the dude right. Yeah. A good movie is three good scenes and no bad scenes. Oh, lovely. I love that. That's quite good. Well done, this Paul. movie does have its three good ones. It just also has quite a few bad ones. Ah. Uh, but it also, it wants you to let you, it wants to let you know that Hollywood of the 20s was as cool as Rome in the 60s, which is why Brad Pitt woefully miscast. And I was trying to figure out why I wanted George Clooney, then remembered Hail Caesar. It's mm. why I want George Clooney, because it's the same role. It's, <laughs> yeah, he shows up here dressed as Fellini. So I'm not reading too much into that. It's called <laughs> subtext. We learn about it in film school. <laughs> I'm not oversimplifying. <laughs> um, the, the score is Oscar nominated Justin Hurwitz has written an, ad an admittedly memorable score we listened to one track of it a few moments ago and we yes, can both still very good. remember how it goes although the love scene is half a note away from just being La La Land oh, it's, on an, okay. it's on an old timey piano so you won't notice oh well then, oh, well then. <laughs> do 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 ba do ba do do ba do do I thought you were going to do 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 Oh my god, City of Stars. It's like the first four notes of Indiana Jones. Yeah. I was going to try and sing City of Stars alongside to Indiana Jones, but I it's not that kind of podcast. City of Stars. City of Stars. Oh, you're twinkling just for me. Not too bad. But there's, you know, it has that hook. The one mm. from the trailer on the saxophone with that deep bass and a burr, 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 burr. and it sounds cool and you want to mm. listen to it after the movie so you pull the album up and eventually you remember that it's in cocaine song if you listen to like 20 other tracks <laughs> but more more than anything else you'll remember that it's in finale because you remember the bit that was in the finale and finale mm. is the only clearly labeled track on the album <laughs> the rest are called jonathan's last dance or something and you know who jonathan is he didn't engage <laughs> with these people but if you listen to Finale, it has a version of that that is sheer chaos. Just okay. like Louis Armstrong going insane on the Northern line. You know, it's madness and it will cost, cost him his Oscar, I think. Oh, okay. This noise, this din. Did he already win for La La Land? I don't know and I'm not checking. The narrative <laughs> works better my way. He went too far. He got too close to Margot Robbie's burning swinging hips and his wax wings melted and he fell into the Aegean. Nobody fat check this podcast. Nobody. Don't you fucking dare. Look, I've already looked at one quote today. I'm done. <laughs> You're done. Look, nobody hassle Jen, okay? Mm. We're not going to mess with Jen. Yeah. It's her podcast. Just try and hassle me. Just try and get in touch with me. You just try and I'll make it as hard as possible. <laughs> it's labyrinthine. So, yeah, very much like this review. This movie is, goes on too long and is very unfocused <laughs> and self-indulgent. So... It's it's a testament to excess, and it's worth mm -hmm. catching on a big screen, but probably just the once. And I'd be surprised if it really gets anyone, like really mm. gets them, you know. Sure. So I'm actually giving it two stars. I, I, wow. I feel a bit. It's a bit of a shame because they have they've laid on a lovely dinner, but they've mm. also thrown it at you from across the room. So okay, yeah, fair. It's a little hard to appreciate. Fine. 
Ugh. What next, my friend? Well, we get a much more sentimental and generally speaking successful view of movies in Steven Spielberg's latest, oh yeah, it was actually quite good movie, The Fablements. <laughs> okay. Yeah. So this is actually the story of Spielberg's childhood told through the avatar of Sammy Fableman, Steven Spielberg's Sammy Fableman. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's a very cunning guy who is played for the most part by Gabriel Labelle, a relative newcomer, I think. I think he had a couple of things, but this is his first good thing. And we start with him seeing his first movie whilst his father, played by Paul Dano, explains with great enthusiasm how it all works and how the gizmos and the stuff in his head works to make movies work. And his mother, played by Michelle Williams, pulls him over in one of the worst haircuts of her (laughs) career, I'm afraid. It's a very unflattering haircut that she has for the majority of this movie. Phone comes out. I'll look that up. You keep going. You look that up. It's very unfortunate. But she gets to whimsically say, movies are like dreams, which gets used in the trailer. Quite unfortunately i think because it's just it lends you to thinking a certain way about Ooh. this movie which is yeah i know that's terrible hair i know oh spielberg i'm sure your it actual could... mother had that hair but you gotta fit it to the face look it could work if you do it in like a very like it's sort of like queen's gambit hair but bad oh god it's similar yeah. it's similar but not done quite as co- it's a bit too flat maybe and... you need anna T- anya taylor joy's yeah baffling face yeah, I think face. maybe you kind of need to or to, to wear it incredibly punky. Yeah, like yeah, it, it, it was ew. it was unfortunate, but it was essential to her character and explains <laughs> a great deal of her motivations. Sure, she's deeply unhappy, and that's mm. why. So yeah, he's he's got there. He's but it's very good that opening sequence and explaining the dynamic. Paul Dano is Mister Science. Michelle Williams is is Miss Art Romance, mm-hmm. and he also has two or three sisters who play into things sometimes. As often as Mike Coulter is French, Sammy Fableman has sisters. Okay. <laughs> so, and there's also Uncle Benny, who seems to be around a lot and quite close to Sammy's mum in spite of her hair. Mm. Mm. He's played by Seth Rogen in one of his finer roles, I think. Everybody's good, as you'd okay. expect. Spielberg is an actor's director. Everybody's mm. good. It looks like you'd expect. It feels like you'd expect. It's entirely typical of Spielberg and his sentimental cinema. We saw British sure. Spies... This is very similar. <laughs> okay. <laughs> you know, particularly his 21st century work, you know, is just, it's not revolutionary, but it's, it's nice. <laughs> it yeah. passes, it, you don't resent watching it as you're watching it. Um, but this is, what is unique here, he's always been a very nostalgia oriented filmmaker, right from the early days. Like even his good movies were homages mm. to the cinema of his youth. And, you know, that's just the way he's been. But this is a very personal nostalgia he's exploring here. Not of like the way a, f- a time feels, but of his actual childhood. And he does convince you of the magic of making home movies on old 16mm film cameras in the 1960s. Just mm. sequences of him trying to remake westerns and war films with his friends. Just, you know, burying little planks in the ground of firecrackers so that in order mm. to Im- imitate explosions and gunshots. It's, it's very sweet and kind of exciting. And you get swept along and even just him filming like his family camping trips and then editing it on his little computer that his dad got him not a computer but like a, a, a editing suite mm. that his dad bought for him um and a trip to the beach you know with all of his friends has this excitement and momentum and you get swept along and you do get a little intoxicated by the power of cinema of composition and editing and the ability the filmmaker has to illuminate and truly explore the world and the people around him and yeah, the people around him are very interesting. This wonderful impression of his parents. They're both in the movie as these elusive, mysterious figures that really just, it reminds me of how you think about your parents when you're a kid. Mm. 
of just you don't understand when things go wrong and you just think that they're immovable and constant and then the heartbreak of finding out they're not Mm. (laughs) and just you know williams and dano play it with just a great heartbreak there's a moment near the film of dano being confronted by a photograph he didn't want to see which just blew me away it was a really Mm. incredible moment from dano um and then other great members too i don't have her name but he gets a girlfriend when he goes to school he's jewish which Mm. ends up defining a lot of his interactions once he moves to oh god california i think don't hold me to that he moves um (laughs) to somewhere where there aren't as many jews as there were before sure um and he meets a Christian girl who's just the best. I love her a lot. She's really eccentric and crazy and just has shrines to Jesus, but also other hot looking guys. And okay, like, cute. And she says like, yeah, it's just a bunch of hot guys. And he's like, and Jesus. And she's like, Jesus is hot. And, it's just... <laughs> and then it becomes uh, like, it goes into something where it's just like, you know, he's just a cute young Jewish boy like you. it's quite saucy i like they do this weird kind of praying thing it it captures well that excitement of a young interaction she's just really fun so i love that um yeah and there's this recurring idea that spielberg uh, fableman sorry uh doesn't really (laughs) understand the power that his camera has because there's a really good sequence where he makes a movie for the school that just so happens to feature his bully in it and he mm-hmm. portrays him in this weird lionized Riefenstahl-esque way where he's the ubermensch, you know, the mm. proud warrior, the Aryan master who just strides <laughs> through this world and excelling in sport and all these other things like a Greek god. And it has a very interesting effect on the bully to be portrayed that way. And it recalls the sequence in that excellent documentary, The Painter and the Thief where the crook has shown a gorgeous painting of himself and he just can't handle it. Mm. It's the violation of being seen, mm. of being beautified and made immortal. It's like being looked at by God. And mm. it just, yeah, it's a very interesting idea that Sammy doesn't understand what his film could do if he uses it carelessly, that the film has power and that he doesn't understand that power. That's I very really interesting. It's very interesting. And I, the movie is just made for me by its final sequence where little Sammy Fableman meets with one of the great film directors, the, the greatest who ever lived. And that character is being played in a cameo by one of the greatest directors alive today. <gasps> and he gives him some very terse advice, which is hilarious. And then is immediately implemented in the next scene. <laughs> and it's just, oh, it made the movie for me. It's okay. p- lovely and playful and just really cute way of tying the whole thing off and showing that Spielberg still has a sense of humor about all this so fun yeah that was a great sequence um so yeah it's sweet it's very well made and I do feel like I shall come back to it and end up cherishing some of its sequences like actual memories so it's four stars lovely yeah very nice I liked a lot of it yeah Yeah. let's finish off the movies about movies trilogy (laughs) that there is in the middle of this thing with unfortunately I'm, I'm so sorry um, one page six of twelve. Unfortunately, Are we're the bottom serious? of page. We're at the bottom of page six of twelve. We'll be okay. okay. Don't worry. I'll speed up. Okay. Okay. Um, okay. Babel, nothing is as long as Babylon. I promise. Um, Everyone loves just how much this is. This podcast pains me. <laughs> oh God. Okay. We the movies about movies trilogy with another unfortunately failed attempt at Oscar gold. It is Sam Mendes's Empire of Light. Mm-hmm. which to be fair does not necessarily feel cynical just kind of misjudged okay. we're, in, we're in a cinema in margate in 1980 the year ticks Ooh. over at the beginning i know and the veneer is wearing thin the glory days are solidly behind it 
but the souls who man the place continue to go about their business. Olivia Coleman plays Hillary, a discontented woman whose only real human connection is with her married boss, I say real, with her married mm-hmm. boss, Colin Firth, for whom she performs tawdry sex acts uh, with mm. no affection whatsoever. Um, and then as things change, when Michael Ward Stephen starts working there, he's a young black man who soon begins a friendship with Hillary and maybe something more. Moink. So older white lady with younger black man, it's essentially Ali Fear Eats the Soul at mm. its heart, but swapping Fastbinder's gift for, uh, sorry, grit uh, for Mendez and Roger Deacon's gloss. You There's said a... some words, yes. <laughs> <laughs> Bizarre aesthetic detail, though. The music is by Trent Reznor and Atticus Ross. Oh, the people who did... Um... Uh, Girl um, with Dragon Tattoo. And, and um... Tron? No. No, they didn't do Social Tron. Network. Yes, Social yes. Network. And Nailed also it. recently did Soul, and it's very curious to see where ah. their direction is going from these. Very because yeah. on the way to the cinema, coincidentally, and I didn't know they had done it. Atticus Ross, I don't think, was involved in Nine Inch Nails. Maybe as a producer, but Trent Reznor was its leading man. Um, leading man. I can't talk about things that aren't movies. He's the leading <laughs> man. He's the main attraction of the band. <laughs> and um, the star. I was listening to Closer, which people may remember. You know, I wanna uh, have fun with you like an animal. <laughs> bow, bow, bow. and it's it's odd to note that that trajectory is now that he's this cozy whimsical duo you know yeah. with Atticus Ross that who will score your sentimental nostalgia movie but compare and contrast with Thomas Newman uh, with whom Mendez usually works <laughs> and who shall be coming up in a later film Reznor and Ross retain something sinister in their soundtracks mm. or something kind of otherworldly in their use of like synths you know, mm. we're being introduced to the physical space of the cinema early on, and there's something otherworldly about it, sort of low synth mewlings, mm. like, and it's like, oh, okay, yeah. interesting. You still got a bit of life in there, but I need you to do the new David Fincher movie, please. <laughs> Whatever that is. Uh, anyway, it's it's Fastbinder, but with racism and misogyny and mental okay. illness, and it all just feels quite segmented and tossed in, and it doesn't really coalesce. Coalesce. Uh. You just find out that one of the characters is schizophrenic halfway through, and it's like, oh, okay, right. Welcome to the fray, mental health issues. Mm. Let's see if we can find a place for you somewhere. The <laughs> it just the idea seems to be life is rubbish, so go see movies. Okay. But yeah. for reasons that are. Uh, we, ah, for reasons that are just about justified but we don't get any cinephilia until the final act mm. because she's not going to see the movie so we don't actually see the act of oh. watching the movie until she goes and watches Hal Ashby's Being There an amazing okay. film I love that movie um, and it's, it's I wish I was watching that it's a good choice because you know it's got wistful humour and it's a good fit for Coleman's character but it's the first and only time that we've seen cinema play a part in the lives of these characters. You mm. could have been contrasting the life of the film lover who has this great means of escape and, you know, beauty in their life with the film not viewer and sure. play up a contrast there. But ugh, it's frustrating because the acting is okay. Ward is good. Ward is very good. He was great in Lover's Rock and he seems to have a bright future ahead of him. Coleman is good, as you'd expect. She's very good at being quiet and sad and then loud and angry. And mm-hmm. she does both in this. And she does that thing where she smiles, but you know that she's, you know... Oh, upset. yeah, she's yeah. brilliant for that. Yeah, she does that. And that's great. And it's not a subtle film in any respect, really. <laughs> okay. It's absolutely not. Certainly not in its depiction of racism or mental health issues. Uh, the background characters of the film feel like the inhabitants of a very particularly British form of cinema slash theatre. Um, very broad and quaint and I think quite irritating okay. and it just just feels like someone nudging me in the ribs being like hey don't worry it's just a film 
I want David Lean and Nicholas Rogue to break into the editing booth and just show the world what British cinema bloody looks like mm. when it's at its best. Oh. Yeah, Mendes, I think, needs to be careful. He's getting quite twee. Mm. I, I liked 1917, but it was, you know, very sentimental. Sure. And I, he needs to make Jarhead again. I don't, I don't, I don't like Jarhead, but I think it would be good for him. <laughs> <We're doing laughs> okay. so good. What we need for Sam Mendes is another war. <laughs> yeah. Another modern, yeah. unromantic war. Yeah. Go to the desert and film uh, Jake Gyllenhaal again, looking mm. miserable, and then come back and make your movie about cinema. Um, <laughs> Because yeah, this this it's two stars. I think it's oh, not shame. it's not entirely clear why the film had to be made or what it's saying, and I think that's a shame. I'd like to see a movie about a cinema. Yeah. The end, you know. I'd like to see a movie about the cinema. That's it. This this isn't it. This could have been about swimming baths or an sure. ice skate rink. You know, you sell the tickets and you give out the goggles and or ice skates, but you never go in at, slash out there for yourself. And then the big mm. climactic scene is she actually goes swimming and or skating, and Toby Jones explains the science as to why it's great to swim or skate. You know, mm. it could have been it could have, could have been that. It didn't need sure. to be the cinema, and that's that shows a superficiality, I think. So yeah, two stars. Okay, well, fine. Yeah, I think it's fine. You know, uh, cool. You can do sentimentality well. A man called Otto, for example. <laughs> okay. <laughs> This is a new adaptation of and remake of, the opening credit mentions both, A Man Called Ove, which is a Swedish book and film okay. uh, written by Frederick Barkman, why did I do this, and directed by Hans Ullmann, uh, Holm. Sorry. So go back and stitch two sentences together there that I've merged together. <laughs> it's, it's adapted by David McGee, who writes this sort of thing. He wrote Finding Neverland, Life of Pi, okay. Mary Poppins Returns. You know, He's written this yeah. year's live-action Little Mermaid, so... Right. Okay. He's not. He's not edgy. Although he did write Lady Chatterley's Lover, the oh. remake last year. So you know. But I mean, the work's kind of done for you when it comes to the edginess. There, we all know the yeah. premise. <laughs> yeah. Mm. You don't have to try too hard to make that. <laughs> Oof. Ooh. Ooh. Oh, well, they really added something. Oh, it's a. It's a, it's um a story about a war hero and his wife. Well, that would be nice. That would be lovely, won't it? I'll take oh, mom. Good. <laughs> I'll take mom. <laughs> and mum's hoping you'll take it. That's. Uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> At last, a frank conversation about sex. I've been hoping to talk about this for a longer time. Wait, no. Okay. I'm glad that you took me to see this. I think you should have an affair. <laughs> I hate Gerald. He's not good enough for you. I like and Gerald, I... but I just think you could do with having your, the dust blown out of your attic, if you know what I mean. And by attic, I mean bottom. <laughs> Thanks, Mum. I don't want to. I don't want to ask. No. You must be doing some of it right, or I wouldn't be here. <laughs> oh dear! Oh god, dear! Oh dear! So, dear, and the movie oh is directed. Dear. It's dear, oh dear! The movie's directed by Mark Foster, who directed a really good film once. He made The Kite Runner. Oh yeah, yeah The Kite Runner. He made. That. Oh yes, yes. Was that Iraq? I've seen it. It was pro- uh, Afghanistan. Afghanistan, of course it was. Oh. Mm. Yeah, it was very good, and it had its own sense of identity and a visual mm-hmm. style. Otherwise, he's a bit of a gun for hire, seemingly. Yeah. He's made Monster's Ball, a good film. Okay. Finding Neverland, I haven't seen it. Dreadful psychological film Stay, which you can find out more about on the OGT episode of Ellen Graham. <laughs> Stranger Than Fiction, the Will Fowl thing. Oh, where, yes, I enjoyed yep, that. Yep, yeah, Quantum, of so- Quantum of Solace. <laughs> okay, yeah. Machine fine. Gun Preacher with Gerard Butler, Gerard Butler. Gerard World Bigler. War Z. Ooh. And the excellent film Christopher Robin. So he's oh. very inconsistent, both in quality yeah. and in... Just there's not a strong authorial voice there, which I think makes him perfect for this because he didn't like need he, that. He either wants to do like 
gung-ho action yeah just nice stories about children's <laughs> books <laughs> yeah and never the twain shall meet joe yeah. butler will never get into christopher robin yeah what's the pity but mm. yeah so the common the common thing to all three versions of this is a grumpy old man here played by mm. tom hanks who you know he's very critical of his neighbors and he's annoyed by modern life he's a victor meldrew type really mm. and he's grieving for his lost wife and is therefore considering suicide However, yeah. every time he attempts suicide, he is interrupted by people who need his help, sort of dragging okay. him back to the world, none of whom are noticed. So it's a dark comedy, you know, sure. where he's, you know, having to kick the rope under the table and all the rest of it and, you know, that kind of thing. So mm. it handles, it requires a great deafness of touch when it comes to the tone. And for the most mm. part, that's fine. The attempted suicide scenes are treated with suitable gravitas and then segue into these very dreamy flashbacks where everything looks like things do in flashbacks these days. And yeah. um, we explore his relationship with his wife. Um, and then there are sequences of him living his life and interacting with his neighbors. And those are a bit too sickly for me. Okay. Uh, you meet his neighbors who are straight out of a Disney movie. Mm. And the whole thing is just playing like the opening sequence to Paddington. And I love Paddington, but mm. it's, it's jarring here. Yeah. It's quite schmaltzy. Sure. And although I haven't seen the Swedish version, I feel like I can imagine how that plays. Mm. Just a little edgy, a little darker, a little mm. bit more serious, I think would have done this a world of good. Um, it does occur to me, though, watching this thing about American movies is it's really, really difficult to do any kind of observational humor because you're playing to like a continent for the most part <laughs> that has completely different lifestyles throughout different yeah. levels of like society and different things and things that unite it but you know you don't want your crowd leaving the cinema going oh it's a bit west coast you know so the mm. observations have to be very broad you know young yeah. people use technology too much grocery stores can be inflexible you know damn developers things that everyone will have experience of whether they live in maine or california sure mm. but it is affecting in spite of that in spite of its toothlessness perhaps you might <laughs> want to call it it is affecting. Hanks is very good doing his usual Hanks bit. And it's fun to watch him being a grump. I like <laughs> how two of his neighbors are a bit above the cliche that the rest of them are. Mariana Trevino, who plays his new neighbor and is the over-friendly, very eager maternal type, but also brings a bit of humor and pathos to the role and a you know slight edge as well. And then you have Mac Bader, who plays a transgender teen uh, that Otto befriends and becomes a bit of a surrogate father too, because that's what all the wayward teens want, is an old white guy yeah. to accept them and <laughs> ensure that they're on the straight and narrow. Because, yes, you can be transgender, you can be whatever you want, but here's a car, you're going to use this, and you'll, you'll, you'll have a similar life to the one that we all expect you to have it's it's yeah. sweet i'm being salty but it's actually quite sweet <laughs> and you know you'll i tear up a little at the end oh, because nice. you know everything goes bright and that oversaturated and that thomas newman score you know hmm. does that thing i told you we come back to him and the score <laughs> you know it kicks off and you know it all goes sad and you know we're programmable beings and i'm programmed to find such things moving and so i did yeah. it's it's pleasant and unchallenging I Look can't that. imagine it's bringing much new to the mix. And I would rather check out the original than watch this again. Um, but yeah, I'll give it three stars. It's better Fine. than Empire of Light, but it's no Fablemans. Fair enough. Yeah. Fair enough. Oof. Yeah, fair. Speaking of not subtle, mm. we have the movie that, in the words of the great Trisha Tuttle, might just get George of the Jungle his Oscar. <laughs> it's The Whale. The Whale. The Whale. This is Darren Aronofsky, an auteur filmmaker who nobody likes, I feel like. Yeah. I yeah. 
yeah, it, it, it's really that. very rarely me nobody likes all of aronofsky i think oh, i like most i think everyone's been scarred by at least one aronofsky yeah everybody's been burned everybody hates yeah. one M- mm. mother is probably his worst in my book but oh yeah i've heard he's prone yeah. to a very definite weakness where his characters become ciphers just like sure signifiers of something else the emotional truth of his film gets lost amidst the intellectual exercise he's pursuing and it's usually a fairly nose metaphor fairly on the nose metaphor and the hard mm. edge starts to feel like a deliberate provocation in the whale those things aren't too bad but i have okay. a bigger issue so so to speak um, oh dear you see i'm already part of it i'm already part of the problem mm. this is a film about charlie played by brendan fraser in his triumphant return uh, who is dangerously, morbidly obese. And okay. he is confined to his home where he teaches classes online and still depends upon the care um, of Liz, played by Hong Chao, who was excellent in last year's The Menu. Uh, mm. Faced with the possibility of an imminent death uh, due to his health issues, he reaches out to his estranged daughter, Ellie, played by Sadie Sink, in the hopes of forging a relationship with her. Fraser and Chow are up for acting Oscars and I'm delighted for both of them. They deserve it. They're the MVPs here and I'm really happy for Fraser. They are both great and they really do form the heart of the film. But the film isn't about them. The film's about his daughter. Ooh. Sadie Sink delivers on the brief, but the brief is so mean-spirited that I really thought this movie was going to go a different way. Ah. So Charlie is obsessed with how amazing his daughter is and how he can make sure that she will live a good life. And so he offers his life savings in exchange for her spending a bit of time with him. She is furious with him because he left her and her mother when she was young because he was a closeted gay man who left to be with the man he fell in love with. Uh An undeniably tragic thing to happen. Mm -hmm. And the mother is um, a very two-dimensional cartoon bad mum you know, alcoholic, just yells all the time kind of thing. So it was a bad situation he left her in. Now, the messed up teenager is... Oh, so now the the messed up teenager is a familiar concept in cinema. The damaged kid who's working through feelings of abandonment by being rebellious and edgy and hating the world. Ellie enjoys seeing people suffer, and her dad most of all. She's really affectingly cruel and sadistic, and Mm. either indifferent to or actively enjoys the suffering of others and animals. And that's fine if that's the point sometimes parents can be amused abused by their children Mm. you know domestic abuse can go both ways and that's extraordinarily difficult you know Mm -hmm. extremely difficult thing for a parent to realize and if it's also a child that you at one stage abandoned that would be really complicated as your trauma from being abused by your child is going to be wrapped up in a profound feeling of guilt that you feel towards them that would make Mm. it very difficult for you to value your own well-being and actually leave the situation so ellie abuses charlie but charlie only sees the good in her keeps telling her she's amazing and keeps trying to find just the right words in order to properly unlock her brain and make her mm-hmm. care about people again and be the daughter that he sees her as. He sure. wants her to be the image he has of her, to save her. Yeah. And again, if that was the point that this is misguided as an endeavor, then it would be quite profound. But it's, it is kind of interesting to see him hold on to this one thing. He has one solitary piece of evidence that his daughter is a good person who is worth reaching in spite of overwhelming evidence that she is not. I'm really quite salty about her in this. Um, so in a sense, this image of her that he has is the white whale that he is hunting for because Moby Dick is a big part of like, mm-hmm. the thing, you know, it's the name of the movie. Yeah. 
but we remember the end of Moby Dick, right? It's not that he gets the whale and everything's great. <laughs> he, yeah, it's going to go wrong. Yeah, we know where yeah. Moby Dick goes. And it's kind of weird that this movie's conclusion is that Ahab maybe didn't just go far enough. Oh. <sighs> Speaking of whales, it is time to address the, well, actually the rest of that phrase isn't quite right in this, a bit unfortunate in this uh, context. The accusations of fat phobia are mm. well-founded. But mm-hmm. the design of the fat suit here is almost deliberately gone out of its way to not resemble how people really put on weight. He looks like an extremely bottom heavy. He looks like a water balloon that's being pinched from the top. You know, okay. it's like it really like sags down and forms like this giant ball around his hips in a way that isn't doesn't feel very realistic. But that might be on purpose to try and you know, distance Charlie from people who are morbidly obese for all sorts of reasons, you know, disabilities, what have you, and instead have his weight solely work as a manifestation of his grief and guilt and just solely an act of self-neglect and punishment, which is tricky Mm. because you're tying it into, you know, other things. You know, just imagine if you try to realize on screen self-abuse, you know, in the form of, oh God, just other things that would... I don't want to use an example because they're all too ugly in my head, but that's what you've got here. You've effectively got someone disabling themselves as a form of self-neglect sure. mm. and self-loathing. And there are still <clears> jokes <throat> made at his expense, sometimes in ways that I feel the audience is being invited to join in on. Mm. And Fraser has the humanity and the love that you need to get involved with him, but the camera is often inviting us to be shocked and appalled at how large he really is. And that feeling is kind of gross. Yeah. It's uncomfortable in a way that I think it's meant to be. Um but also uncomfortable in ways I'm not sure it is meant to be. So, oof. In the end, I'm giving it three stars even. Three for Chow okay. and Fraser, because I love them both. And the mm. empathy of the piece, which did feel sincere. I, I don't know. I, I may at some stage get this movie and just skip the scenes with the daughter and the missionary. There's a missionary as well. <laughs> it's it's bad. Okay. He's, he's also bad. Uh, unfortunately, that's just a lot of the movie. <laughs> yeah. It's the point of the movie. And again, if it had just stuck to its convictions and not pulled out the sappy Hollywood ending where, of course, he's going to you know, win her over, then I might have felt more positive about this. Maybe the movie mm. just needs to be about how sometimes you have to let people go even if you feel tremendously guilty towards them. There's only so much you can do. It's yeah. not reasonable for you to give up your life for someone that you've wronged. It's just... Yeah. I don't know. It's just... It surprises me that Aronofsky would... Uh... Mm. Go for something Go for so the... sentimental in the end. Yeah. So... I would have expected it to just be like, and then he killed her. <laughs> in some really like, he just, just pumps her full of drugs and her brain explodes. She I drugs know. him. <laughs> she <laughs> drugs him at one stage. It's like, yeah. oh my God. She sucks so much. Wow. But it's, I know it's the point of the movie and it's meant to be that, you know, he loved her so much that it's beyond, but it's just, it, I, I don't know. It feels toxic in its own okay. way to use the Does it, was it just phrase. was it not very enjoyable to watch i mean it doesn't it's sound very enjoyable no i mean it's not meant to be enjoyable really there are moments well, of no, humor but... and fraser is great but there are moments where it does feel profoundly empathetic okay. in a way that is involving to watch that you want to see okay but there other other times well, i don't know i just found her too mean maybe i'll see it again and i'll think i, I think i just know I... everyone says that about anovsky though <laughs> maybe yeah, i'll see it again exactly I think that maybe that is an element that lacks. And I, to be honest, I've only yeah. watched most of Requiem for a Dream. Oh yeah, which I like, and I did not. Fair enough. It's a <laughs> well, tough don't watch. think I much enjoyed the first half, and I'm yeah. glad I bailed when I did. Well, um, yes, <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, and I think there's like watch. It's like 
I would rather watch a horror film than that, I think. Yeah. Just because I feel like I can get the point of horror more. Because that's yes. like enjoyable gross. It's just, I don't know. It seems just a, like he likes kind of mean-spirited gross. Yeah, I don't like I don't that know. generally. Yeah. I don't think so. like, there's a Swedish thriller, which I've forgotten the name of, but I'm aware of what it's about. It's about like two people who go around with their kid and they befriend people and then murder them. And it just feels too cynical to, for me to get mm. on board with. Sometimes, some things are just too mean-spirited. And the worst movie I ever saw is um, Rachel is Missing. Or something someone oh, is missing. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. You know about this. It was just Yes, horrible. because you mentioned it on at Oh some the point Patreon. I, yes. yes. Somebody brought it to us. I, this is how I know about it. Yes, and I so I Googled the plot and that does sound absolutely awful. I watched it. I hated it. I really yeah, hated so it. I can see it, why it's it really hideously cynical. I know, it that's exactly it. It just feels like a, a cheap shot, you know, yeah. and it just you know oh, but it's a warning again. Teenage girls no, know this not. stuff. They know what's yeah. out there. There's no need yeah. to revel in it. Yeah, in fact, yeah, it sounded like it was someone reveling in it, in the well, misery of, yeah. That kind of brings us to our next film. Second okay. one, penultimate. Because mm. speaking of tough to watch, but actually worthwhile, much more legitimately, we have Till. So this one's mm-hmm. going to be a little serious. This is Chino Yi's Choku's biopic about Mammy Till Bradley, a story I had not heard of before seeing this film. Have you heard the story of um, Mammy Till? No. No, I don't think it's very well known in this country. Um... I was I, I read up about it after I saw the poster and was freshly horrified by the fate of Emmett Till and freshly amazed by Mammy Till Bradley. Ooh, yeah, maybe we, anyway. Continue, please. No, worries, I'll I'll cover it within mm. years. So, um, so maybe the story isn't well known in the UK, um, where we have our own horrible histories of terrible things that have happened to young black people, and then their mothers just kicking everybody's ass in an attempt to try and get justice. We have Stephen Lawrence and his mother Doreen mm-hmm. Lawrence OBE. So. Yeah, we have, exactly. we have, I think every nation probably has its own stories. Um, so either it's not well known here or I'm just especially ignorant or both. Could be both. <sighs> Look, let's just blame our education system and move on. Yeah, Always do that uh, for mm. literally everything that goes wrong. In either yeah. case, it's a hell of a story. It's, mm. we start with Mammy Till in Chicago with her son Emmett, where they live a life that is just about tolerated by the white people around her. She still gets questioned when she goes into a department store as to whether or not she'd prefer to go to the basement, but she feels relatively safe. And we sure. meet Emmett, who is being played by Jalen Hall, and oh god, as soon as this angelic kid is introduced with his warm eyes and his giant smile and his cute hat, yeah, and the way he's filmed throughout is just the slight slow motion you just know this kid is dead like there's no way this kid's surviving into the second act even if you didn't know the story this kid isn't long for this world and it's like it's like the first act of an episode of casualty you're just waiting for it to yeah who's gonna die who's gonna die and how's it gonna happen and then Mm. oh boy he's going to visit his cousins in mississippi in the 1950s what could go wrong he speaks to and then whistles at a white woman and a few days later, he is lynched. He's beaten, shot, and thrown into a river. His body is returned to his mother in Detroit, and he is horrifically unrecognizable. Mm. Just absolute bloated, beaten. There's not a part of his body that is not ravaged by what's happened. Mammy Till decides that she will hold an open casket coffin um, to the public so that the whole world will get a chance to come and see what was done to her boy. It is a very powerful act. In reading the story, I saw the iconic picture that was taken of her with Emmett in the foreground and her in the background. And yeah, it's an extremely powerful image that she gave to the world to really represent what Mm. this costs 
Because that's the thing. If you allow this kind of thing to be palatable, then you're doing it an injustice. And it's kind of interesting the way that her decision to show the body is kind of mirroring the director's decision to tell this story as a movie. Mm. Because it's a tough story, an unpalatable story, but the movie's rationale is the same as Mammy Till's, that this should not be palatable, this should not be ignorable. We should celebrate black joy, of course, and we should be telling diverse stories about black people living in the United States, but you have to sometimes look and behold the terrible things that have happened and remember. Maybe there should be a filtering out process. Maybe in the foyer, you know, <laughs> all the white people should be taken to show, be shown Till, and all the black yeah. people can go see like a fun remake of Car Wash starring the same <laughs> yeah. cast which would be actually really tight <laughs> yeah, yeah agreed <laughs> oh but god but um nevertheless it's important for younger generations as well of course to remember what's come before to remember where sure. they're coming from and how easily one could slide back so chuku has made some movies before she made clemency about a prison warden and a death row inmate which i haven't seen somehow it was 2019 mm. and it was a sun it was at sundance where it won the oh. dramatic grand jury prize and i don't remember its release so underplayed, underplayed because of our racist society, or am I just especially ignorant? You decide. There's going to be a poll. I blame it on the education education system. system again. I don't know how to recognize these movies when they're out. I've literally been trained to see them as walls. <laughs> uh, my favorite thing that Chuku does here is that she deprives the white characters of a face. You know, any sympathy mm. or importance, the camera does not linger on them. And in a way, it doesn't matter who these specific men are. It's the society that vindicates and forgives them that matters. So sure. we only get one guy. You have to have the one guy mm. to represent the ignorance and stupidity of the system. Usually you get an Ed Screen or a Will Poulter sort of young white guy type. Here it's a fat southern sheriff type who I actually mm. couldn't find in the credits. And I think that's actually a credit to the film that he's just he's not an important character. He's mm. just a face for you to get angry with. But it's very obvious he's just a face. The problem is not going to be resolved by killing one old white guy as much as you would like Viola Davis to storm in with her sword and just clear the room <laughs> at various points. That's not going to fix it. Yeah. You know. So, yeah, if the white people are absent, then the civil rights activists and fighters who join her are very present. And we get a really good overview of like, the movement and we see the support and the shared sorrow and the courage of these characters all fighting for the same cause, but with different views on how to get there. And it's about weighing her personal tragedy against a wider movement. And it's an aspirated struggle I've just never thought of or kind of related to before. Is, you know, Mammy Till is being invited to do this huge thing and opposing lynching. But it was also her boy. Mm. You know, and just to try and think of measuring the big against the personal like yeah. that. And of course, you have to talk about Daniel Deadweiler, who's in the lead role, who absolutely should have been nominated for an Oscar for her performance. The scene in which she first sees her son's body is probably the biggest like acting mm -hmm. sequence that she has. But, you know, and it is extraordinary. It's a f powerful sequence. But even more impressive is how she just carries this suppressed fragility within her and a courage that keeps her rigid, but with a very obvious broken heart. It's a really impressive performance. So, yeah, it, it is five stars. It's not an easy watch, but I'm glad I saw it and learned of the story of Mammy Till Mobley. And I think there's a lot there for people who know the story already as well. Um, it's painful, but again, we are being invited to look and to see. It's worth saying, sorry, that the act is not portrayed in any great vulgarity. Sure. The boy is taken in the night in a scene that is very upsetting. And then we experience, uh, there's a witness who hears screaming coming from the barn. So we, we see his perspective of a barn and some screaming, but we don't, you know, there's no blow by blow or anything like sure. that that we're going to see. So, 
you know, we are spared that little bit of unpleasantness. But yeah, it's it's yeah a troubling film, but it's something that deserves to be troubling. Mm. Yeah. yeah. Nevertheless, let's also celebrate some black joy soon. And cool. Summer, please come on. Mm-hmm. Let's go please, see Wakanda please. forever again, or something that's yeah. actually been made by the community itself. Yeah. <laughs> let's go see Woman King again. It's it's great. Sure. It's so good. Mm. Okay. I think I've saved the best for last of this awards season rundown. Okay. It's tar. Tar? Tar. It's got a weird pronunciation over the A, which I don't quite know what to do with. T- but what, are we just doing T-A or T-A-R? T-A-R. Okay. It's got some sort of Scandi thing up there. Mm, so it does. Tar. 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 Very good. It meant that my uh, ticket got printed with the weirdest symbol on it. It was like a fawn, <laughs> you know, like an old okay. fawn, but it couldn't have been a fawn because a fawn is fur. So ah. I don't know what happened with their machine, but it looked bizarre. Anyway, <laughs> this is likely to be in my own personal top 10 of the year. 2022, that is, this is last year's film, because it does directly do the things I love movies to do. It's a psychological drama with fantastical elements and a really riveting personal drama at its heart. It's about the fictional composer and conductor Lydia Tarr. And I see a lot of people, I think, maybe thought this was a biopic because they really had to come out and say that she's fictional, okay. not an actual person. Don't try and find out about her egot. She's played mm. by Kate, Win- Kate Blanchett, who mm-hmm. starts the movie being celebrated in an interview with The New Yorker in front of her appreciative crowd of adoring fans who venerate her. And she gets to show off and charm everyone. And you get a sense of her charisma and her authority that she has and that excellent voice that Blanchette has. Um, and then shortly after, we see her teaching a class at Juilliard where she is challenged ever so slightly by a student who does not want to engage with white male problematic composers like Bach. And you get a glimpse you get a glimpse of who she can be when she wants to be. <laughs> she needles and undermines and then just openly laughs at the dissenting voice and very forcefully puts across her view that it's the work that counts, not the personal life of the artist. I wonder if she might have a personal stake in that particular argument. Interesting. It's interesting. <laughs> and from there we get three complementary movies playing against each other. The first is a professional who is passionate about her work, about music, and is very talented at talking about it and in performing this role at the very highest level. And it's just a joy to kind of see that, to see, get an insight into the life of a sort of big shot conductor, you know, as she goes about her sort of, you know, high high intelligentia lifestyle, both academics Mm. and public performance, and to see the struggles and the politics of that world and to see a character try to play it for her own reasons is very interesting. Which brings you to the second movie that we're seeing, A Story of Power Abused, Mm. which is the one that's caused controversy to the point where Blanchett has actually had to come and speak out about it. Um, Because basically in showing a character, a female conductor at the top of her game, abusing her power, we're suggesting that by showing her abusing her power for her own gratification, we are perhaps implying that women are just as likely to abuse power as men. I mean, the problem with that I think, is that it implies that it's the avoidance of sexual abuse that justifies diversity in the workplace. Like, if we get rid of all the men, the abuse will stop. That might happen. Let's try it. I'm up for trying it. Let's give it 100 years and see if it works. You know, my knowledge of human nature maybe suggests that might not happen. Might be better, though. Or, you know, we can take stock. But regardless, if it does or it doesn't, that's not why it's important, I feel diversity it's not just there to get mm. rid of the bad things it has value and beauty and equality oh, yeah. in, in and of itself and it needs to happen 
you know, we're not doing it because men had their shot and they messed it up and are now not to be trusted with all of the power. And if women are <laughs> going to be just as bad as the men were, then what's even the point? No, you know. Yeah, right. I don't, I, I don't think the movie's suggesting that, but although I think it's important to be aware of the context in which a film is made and it is definitely being made in a pre-equality society. You sure. Know, optimistically pre-equality. We'll get there. We'll get there. It'll yeah. be fine. You know, and we need to be cognizant of what stories we need in that struggle. I think we just need more faith in the inherent worth of diversity because it's a great yeah. thing for itself. We're not doing it yeah. because men aren't good enough with it. So we're going to give someone else a shot. Nobody should have all of the power in a society is the point, you mm. know, and maybe it will mm-hmm. cut down on abuse of power, but that almost feels like a separate thing that needs to happen as well. Nobody should have too much power. No. So yeah, it's controversial, but we're seeing this, we're seeing her abuse her position for her own sexual gratification and Blanchett and Todd Field, a, a director, are doing a great job of drawing out the despicable nature of her actions yeah. in a way that's riding the line, really. did you ever, like, it, it reminds me of like an Isabelle Huppert film, like The Piano Teacher or something. There's, okay. Seeing her descent into such outrageous and shameless injustice is grotesquely marvelous to behold, mm-hmm. as is indeed her subsequent fall from grace, which plays out in this sort of big sequences. Um, and is handled sensitively with all the visual poetry that you could hope for. My God, some of the imagery. But mm. it does become suitably melodramatic and quite comical in parts, culminating in an absolutely marvellous final scene that is devilishly cheeky. I really love the mm. final shot of this movie. I know some people have been offended, but no, it's not about what the filmmakers are saying about this particular thing. It's about what she believes about this thing. It's, mm. it, it makes sense if you see it. It's very good. And then there's the third thing. There's three movies. The third one is the magic in the story. Because you see, she's being haunted. It's manifested in an increasing sensitivity to noise that is driving her insane. Disturbing dreams and some odd little sequences where she finds a pattern, this weird little Celtic-like pattern that she seems to do herself, but is also showing up in places Mm. that she can't account for. There's a merging of dream and reality. Suddenly there's like a metronome that has started itself in her home. You know, it's very restrained. It's very subtle. It reminds me of Personal Shopper in that respect. Another great movie. But it's the little bit of uncanny that I find just elevates it into something really special. So I'm giving it all five stars. I love this kind of thing. And I think it's the best example of a psychological drama that I've seen in a while. It feels very fresh and new. And I'm just excited by it. And I hope that Todd Field makes a new movie a little quicker because I seem to think his last one he did In the Bedroom and Little Children. And that's like 2001, 2006, and now this. Wow. Oh, okay. He takes his time. You know, maybe that's fair enough. But for now, this is something to be cherished, I think. Beautiful. Yeah. Very nice. Sounds exciting. I hope so. Mm. And that's it. Cool. I'd watch a bunch of those. I'd try them out. Try them out. I think you'd like to. Mostly the one with Jared Butler. And... Oh, yeah. Well, yeah. Plain, <laughs> then tar. Plain. 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 Get to the plane. I wish Get I had... to the yes. plane. Oh, shit. <laughs> <laughs> um, I wish... He's using his Scottish accent in this, his actual oh, accent, which is quite lovely. nice. That is lovely, isn't it? And he's, I do he's like that. Canonically Scottish. There's a bit where he comes into the cockpit and it's like, oh, are you English? He's like, no. <laughs> no. <laughs> no. <laughs> Absolutely not. I don't know what that accent is. <laughs> yeah, I got it. It's an English person doing a Scottish one. That's it. That's what I was doing. Yeah, that's what it was. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. Have you watched Wonderful. any movies? You've been in Cairo. Do they have cinemas in Cairo? 
they do, but I didn't go to one. Uh, uh, have I watched anything? Too busy having um, fun. A nice place. Yeah, I was too busy food. having a life. Um, <laughs> Damn it. What have I told you about that? <laughs> oh, no, wait. Plane movies. What did I watch on the plane? Did you watch Plane? No. Oh. I watched... Um, uh, see How They Run. That's oh, what lovely. What did you make of See How They Run? Yeah, I enjoyed it. It's fun, right? It's no knives out. Yeah, it was fun. It's uh, a bit of a laugh. Yeah, I thought it was a little bit too wink, wink, nudge, nudge, yeah. nudge, how we're setting. And I'm like, I can. it's very obvious what you're setting up, which Again. makes the ending like, well, now it's this. And I know that's kind of the point, but I'm like, I'm not sure that's as entertaining as you thought <sighs> it would be. No, there's a great but... lack of sincerity sometimes in British movies and British movies that are angled at co- as comedies as well. Yeah. It just, there's something <sighs> irritating about it. There was a lot I liked about it, and I liked. Um, is it Saoirse Ronan? Saoirse Ronan is so good. She's lovely. She's lovely, and I like Sam Rockwell as the as yes, the I like as well. Him. I like that he was yes, up he was for very that. good. Yes, I enjoyed both of them very much. I just thought um, the scripts was slightly too. Maybe yeah. thought it was a bit cleverer than it actually was. <laughs> yeah, I know. And and um, actually, when I when I was thinking earlier about missing and how all the red herrings actually pay off, I was trying to think of a movie that didn't do that, and I did arrive at see how they run, where there's a fair amount of time dedicated to things that just don't matter in the end. Yeah, in terms of yeah. what the actual things about. Yeah, yeah. So um, that's a shame. Any other plane movies? What did I watch? I watched something else on the flight out, but it was so long ago. They spent so long there. You spent so long in so Cairo. So long. Hey, how long have you spent in Cairo? Is it long? Because I spent a long time in Cairo. Long, like a whole three weeks. Oh um, I watched half of a, an Arab, um, an, an Egyptian film called Ooh. Soulmates, and then I got ah. bored and went to sleep. <laughs> and I can't. I don't think Glowing I watched anything else. For soulmates. <laughs> exactly. Uh, did I watch anything else? If I did, it wasn't good enough to remember. So there we go. There you go. That's Jen's roundup of the week. <laughs> yeah. Oh, and I finished watching Wednesday, the TV show. Oh, how's Wednesday? I've not seen any Oh, it's Wednesday. great. It's a lot of fun. I'd recommend okay. it. Oh, excellent. Last episode tries to cram a little too much in, but it's a fun time. It's a fun time. It's everyone. a fun time. If you're it's a fan of the well Adams cast, you know I love yeah. the original Adams Family movie. Um, yes. The 1993 one. It's yeah. maybe the best cast movie ever. <laughs> it's such yeah. a good cast in that movie. It's very good. Everybody working so well. I just, yeah. yeah, it's hard. This is also a lot of fun. You'll enjoy okay. it. It's very stylish, it. very fun. I'll give it very a charming. Watch. It sounds yeah, fun. yeah, nice and easy. Add it to the list of TV shows I'm going to catch up with, mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> along with all the other TV shows of last year. Yeah, <laughs> can't do television. Come on, guys. Oh, there's so much of it. Films are so much lower much. commitment. I know, mm-hmm. right? And they're so good. Yeah. Is the thing. Got a lot coming out next month. Cocaine Bear. Others, I imagine, but Cocaine Bear. You know about okay. Co- do you know about Cocaine no. Bear? No. True story. A um, Colombian drug cartel's plane went down and a bunch of bricks of uh, cocaine fell out. Um, and a bear ate one of them and went on a rampage. And now wow. they've made a movie about it directed by Elizabeth Banks. Wow. Yeah. Katie is uh, gunning wild. for opening night. Yeah. Yeah. That's wild. Oh, and a new, cool. a new M. Night Shyamalan movie opens this uh, Friday. So oh, January's behind us. The new is that year the one is with uh, Batista in? Yes. With tiny glasses? Yes. Yeah, oh. that's... Yeah, yeah. yeah. I'm going to cry. I'm going to cry just thinking yeah. about that movie because of Dave Batista. <laughs> how gorgeous that man is. I do love him. He said a thing this week that he would be in a rom-com, but he just doesn't think he would be cast in it. And I've been yeah, thinking ever since, how would I make that movie? 
Oh, I think you could. You absolutely could. You absolutely could. I mean, sure. Cast him. It's the unheard of. starts now. It's unheard of. I mean, Dave Bautista is no Woody Allen, but I still think you could. <laughs> <laughs> I still think he's attractive enough for the lead in a romantic comedy movie. Gosh, yes. Gosh, yes. <laughs> Gorgeous, man. Gorgeous. Uh, oh, well. Right. Yeah, well, sign us off, please. You've been listening to Jen and the Film Critic, a Screen Mayhem podcast. My name was Jen Blundell. With me was my film critic, Paul Salt. Our theme music was by Jacob Blundell. It was not that. It was better. Better than my impression of someone else's good music. If you want to get in touch with us, you can tweet us at Screen Mayhem or you can email us at filmcriticpodcast at gmail.com. Tweet us and treat us. I think that about rounds us out. That's going to round us out as people. Yeah. I'm Paul Cocaine Bear. And I'm Jan Blundell. Goodbye. 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 Look up, look down, look all around. <laughs> oh, Jen. I've forgotten the next line. Jen, watch out for mm. that trapdoor.